Stream the show on demand at catchacanradio.com. Hey everybody, welcome to First City Forum. I am your host, Cole Greenup, and I'm here to talk with some folks from the museum. Um, brought to you today by our uh, by our sponsors, the Gemini Crystal Wizard and KPU. Hey, how's it going, Cole? Good, how are you doing? doing Would you guys right? like to introduce yourselves for our, uh, for our listeners today? Sure, yeah. I'm uh, Haley Chambers, the Senior Curator of Collections. I don't get to go on the radio often, so this is kind of a treat. We don't me. let her out very much. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I'm Ryan McHale, Curator of Exhibits. It's great to see you guys. What do you guys want to come in here and talk about today? Yeah, well, um, we are excited to uh, have uh, our new featured exhibit on display now, and it'll be up for an entire year. It'll be up till uh, January of 2023, and it's called Sustaining Community, How We Gather and Why It Matters, and that just opened up on March 4th, so just, just over a month now. Um, and it's really all about how we come together as a community and support one another, um, how we gather on the land and from the land and sea. And our, our opening exhibit, uh, our exhibit reception was awesome. We had some live music there. Um, it was the, the Point Band. And we also gave out like little... Uh, what goodie bags, snack, snack bags, the snack boxes, snack boxes. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, with all local foods too. Wow. Um, so it was really cool to be able to work with some local businesses. That's um, really exciting. I have been yeah. seeing a lot more local products coming, like you know the uh, the kelp uh, pickles, the kelp exactly. Salsa, yeah, we worked with Forage and Found for that. Yeah. Um, we yeah. did. And kind of tied in with that is we've been able to showcase some new donations that we've gotten mm. in the past couple of years, Definitely. Um, including a jar, uh, an empty jar. <laughs> from forged and found of, of some kelp salsa. Yeah, it, it's exciting to be able to um, feature sort of this uh, collecting that we're doing in the now um, because a lot of people think, oh, it's a museum, they have dusty old artifacts. I was like, no, actually, Haley has been working really hard on us collecting from today. Yeah. Nice. I think that's really interesting, actually, bringing the modern aspect of our foraging lives into what we live today because a lot of it is seen as like a thing of the past yeah i think well there's a lot of um interesting things happening with businesses and um just you know people being creative and ingenuitive in the community but um yeah we started collecting more um contemporary things with a purpose a couple of years ago um, when we were doing um the permanent exhibit we um decided that you know, something that was really important for the community was tide tables. Like, we operate around whether the mm -hmm. tide is high or low or what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And um, we went around town and collected, I think it was 23 tide books and tried to get, you know, one from like everywhere that was doing it. So the coffee shops and Walmart and Walmart and you does know, McDonald's have one? I'm surprised <laughs> if they don't. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> that would be amazing. One of the few places that don't. But um, yeah, then, um, you know, the next year we um, we were like, OK, that was kind of a cool project. So we started collecting business cards. And I've, I feel like I've talked about those darn things so much. But that was um, you know, it started out as like a small thing because I was kind of interested in business cards. Mm -hmm. There happened to be some around the museum from uh, from other staff, and um, I started asking around, and now I've gotten over 1,500 business cards. And it's so cool because you get to see like how um, how 
businesses have changed, how people have moved around in the community, yeah. how um, it's cool to be able to include like more diversity of some native or other ethnic ethnic owned businesses. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a cool way to try to capture some information about like a regular person. It's interesting um, to see that information of a community on a micro level too, rather than the macro mm. sense of the events that take place, but rather yeah. the people that took part of the events. Definitely. That's what's yeah. really cool about like what we're doing and, and what this exhibit does too, is it really tries to focus in on individuals, not just this larger story, because ultimately it comes down to individuals making that choice to sustain a community yeah. right whether it's a business or it's an organization you have that on an individual level which is cool to be able to document that yeah and the other thing too is we've um, we've really been trying to expand the social history that we collect so that's really representing like the regular person because yeah. traditionally with historic things it's usually the older white wealthy male mm -hmm. demographic so there's a lot of stuff that's not included with that and mm -hmm. um the sustaining community exhibit was a great place for us to showcase some of the more um social items that we've yeah. gotten like we um we got a pride flag earlier this year which yeah. was really exciting because we don't have a lot in our records to represent the lgbtq community right. and we know that people exist people have been here for a long time uh, but you know things like there's that, not a just, lot of historical record of that stuff yeah. written down there are really aren't photos to talk about that there aren't things so um, we reached out to someone in the community who had um, been displaying pride flags um, probably a lot of people have seen them on Schoenbar Road um, and they started out as a protest um, in a sense and the first one they put up was cut down and they put up uh, many more in response to that. We have a photo of her entire driveway yeah. covered in flags, Cole. It's hilarious. Yeah, and they even, um, you know, they got to a point with people vandalizing the flags that they had put up a sign, you know, every time one of our flags goes missing or is taken, then we're going to donate to an LGBTQ organization. So yeah. sometimes people misinterpreted that as, oh, they're like giving away flags. So <laughs> take a flag. Take a flag. <laughs> These folks will donate. So it, it's this really cool story that really is powerful. Yeah, it shows um, like community support and belonging and, and really, like I was saying, that individual decision to say, hey, I'm going to stand up for something I yeah. believe in. And I think that's a really good idea, too. It's really nice to see that kind of information because, at least in a westernized society, a lot of that information, a lot of those lifestyles aren't championed. They're a lot, often in, in hiding. Yeah. And what's, what's exciting with, with this exhibit and sort of our direction as an institution is really assessing how are we representing our community and are we representing everyone? Mm -hmm. And then reaching out to certain parts of our community and saying, hey, how do you want to be represented? What is meaningful to you? And then how can we share that with the larger community? So it's really a, a conversation. Haley and I were talking just yesterday about a lot of our job is just building relationships. And that's what I really like about our positions is it's just interruptions and having conversations with people when they walk in. We're constantly interrupted when we're working because people come in and they're like, I have an object or I have a story. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, we've gotten like quite a nice cadre of like, 
our museum friends, and we're trying to push ourselves now to get out of our comfort zone, meet new people, get new stories that, you know, really represent a wider picture of yeah. the community. I think it's interesting too with the like the business cards getting that sense of personal history because um, a lot of people that I know myself included have stories that have gone missing in the family information periods that you just didn't hear about yeah and getting to see some of that personal history might connect you back to oh I didn't know they were working here I didn't know they had these kind of relationships and connections the business cards have been so fascinating because there's some um, there's some businesses that have only been around they, they were just around for like a, a short, season, right? A short period yeah. of time. And uh, other ones that were around for a long period of time or people that, um, you know, have a lot of a long history with the community. And um, I, for a while I had them out on a table that was nearby. And it was so cool when people would come to visit me and they'd, they'd see the business cards and they'd be like, oh, I remember that business. Or, oh, yeah, I remember that person. Or they were a jerk or <laughs> what, whatever it was. And it, it was just really cool. Adding and, a fuller picture to the yeah. story. Well, and I like the fact that they're small, too. But they also, you know. Less storage space for <laughs> Haley. <laughs> but they, um, you know, they can have pictures on them. They can have addresses. Um, it's interesting, like, how the older ones used to have a lot more information, and now, like, current ones are doing, like, funky shapes and you might different materials. More directing people to social media and yeah. different materials. Yeah. So it, it's just kind of an interesting. The oyster white background. <laughs> font. Yes. We're also, we're also working on to um, uh, digitizing our, um, was it uh, our phone books as well? Um, and different records like yearbooks too is these things where you can find more information yeah. right is is learn about your family member or oh you knew that someone lived in Ketchikan around this period can we find their their yeah, records we get a lot of research requests for just basic genealogy or like where was this place located and um, we had an awesome summer worker for two years who scanned like four decades of phone books for us. Brutal. Which was incredible, yeah. He got into the, the thicker ones. Um, so yeah, would spend days at the copy machine um, scanning stuff for us. Um, but we are hopeful to make um, the, the phone directories and the digitized yearbooks that we have available soon for people so that they can do some of their own research. Right. Really starting to like empower our community to, to seek out that history, yeah. right? It's exciting. Yeah, and um, another fun thing that we've been working on with collections. Well, I thankfully I haven't had to do a whole lot, but um, <laughs> we. Um, so there's an awesome organization for the state that helps support and empower museums, and it's called Museums Alaska, mm -hmm. and they have two grant programs. Um, one is is newly renamed the Alaska Art Fund. It used to be the Art Acquisition Fund, and that. Um, has been around since 2003 and they provide money for museums and cultural institutions to buy art made by Alaskans to help nice. support artists that are in our state but also to help enrich our collections so it's a really unique grant program um, and we've benefited from that quite a bit and we have a lot of that on display in our in our museums we do, yeah. yeah we've got um, quite a bit actually in yeah our permanent exhibits and a few um, cool pieces that are in sustaining community um, but we there's another grant program uh, called the collections management fund grant and that started um, in 2013 
and that helps museums take care of their stuff. So mm -hmm. we've talked about all of this like cool stuff that we're collecting, but then it's like the well, then what do you do with then it? what? Um, the upkeep, the care. We have to like take yeah. care of it yeah. for in perpetuity. Yeah. So we've used this um, this grant program to help us purchase some new shelving and boxes and things to take care of stuff physically. Um, but last year we um, we wrote a grant for fifteen thousand dollars for. Um, um, more of our older media to be sent off to be digitized. Wow. And um, that included um, language um, cassette tapes and vinyl records. Um, we sent off a series of records um, from uh, the high school, the late 70s, early 80s. The band, K High the, Band. Oh, wow. High school band yeah. performance. They actually had vinyls pressed. They have the K High Band. Yes, they we did. have some on display actually in the wow. in the exhibit too. Yes, and they were um, when they were donated. Most of them were were still in the cellophane plastic wrap, <laughs> wow. so they had never been played before, which is very cool. Um, I know that there are some that are out in the community, so some people might be familiar with those. Um, and then um, we sent off about 300 cassette tapes um, from uh, mostly oral history projects. Some were recordings from things that we've done, like exhibit planning, or um, we did a basketry conference back in the oh. 90s. Um, so a lot of that stuff is kind of largely a mystery because we've got maybe a label on the cassette tape that mentions you know what it is like so and so and then a date and that's it so we don't very know. vague information super, across the board yeah super vague information um so generally we, we we um have worked with a company in anchorage called summit day media and they are fantastic we send stuff um up to them and there's a lot they can do in-house but they also contract with um with digitizing labs in LA or Washington DC depending on like the needs or the media. Is it also and like restoration like roughing out some of the edges that may be like because like film restoration I know is like a huge project that's been going on. Well they, part of the issue yeah. too is that like if we played them we might actually destroy some of them so that's yeah. the, the issue is, is why we want to actually digitize yeah. them is, is that issue. Yeah and they um, with the cassette tapes they, they have been doing some repairs and doing some splicing and sometimes they have to make little tweaks to the case to make things work and um, it's all kinds of fun stuff I'm it's glad nice that we don't have to I don't do have that. to do it but um, yeah we're um, we're so, I'm so excited to get stuff back from this project I I did uh, do some sampling on some of the cassettes just that didn't have labels to make sure like they had something this is something important we're not sending Haley how many boxes did you send <laughs> they were like chock full of like cassette tapes what I sent like four big boxes <laughs> wow. yeah it was incredible um, but yeah. yeah I'm hopeful we'll be getting that stuff back um, in the next couple months and um, we're gonna hopefully start sharing that um, with the that's community. really exciting but our main thing is a lot of the older stuff, um, it was done before there was, you know, a real need for paperwork. And nowadays we, we're kind of sensitive to that. So making sure that we have the correct permissions to mm -hmm. share things. So we're going to be um, hopefully promoting that project a little bit more. Um, I'll be looking to get in touch probably with family members because I think uh, bulk of these people have probably passed away by now. Mm -hmm. And... 
um, will be working with their relatives that are still alive. That's the tough thing, like with oral history, like that oh, kind yeah. of thing. When someone goes, you could be losing a large part of your community's stories. And that's why this is so important to us, and, and we think it will be important to our community, is digitizing these and making them available. Because, like Haley said, some of them are so vague that we don't even know what's <laughs> what they're talking about, right? But to be able to have that and then show it to our community, it's like, hey, this is what we're doing, and this is relevant to, to, to what you yeah. guys want, right, is to being able to record those oral histories and share them. Yeah, and we're, um, you know, there's a, a current oral history program that's, um, you know, kind of a different slant on that where we've um, been encouraging conversations. So it isn't that formal interview where you start out, you know, I was born in 1900 <laughs> and you tell your whole life story. It, it's more of a snapshot of, um, what's significant or what's important. And Ryan's done um, some of that in relation to exhibits. Um, it's been really fun. It's yeah. it's mainly just sitting down and having coffee and pastries with people <laughs> and then recording their stories. And, and a lot of them, for me, has been geared around exhibit topics, but then also going back and I, we did one with uh, Clara Diaz recently, and it was three hours, and it was wow. I, I was like, we need to come back. We need to redo this. We need to do this like three more times, right? But it's exciting because people have so much to share, and by offering them that platform to say, hey, we actually we want to know, yeah. and, and other people in the community want to know. I think that's exciting, too, because there may be people with a lot of those stories that don't know people want to know that information. They don't want to hear it. Like, they don't think that people have the drive to hear exactly. the community background and the things that they lived through. That is something that's interesting, too, is we're realizing that, especially collecting from today, people don't think necessarily when they're going about their day-to-day -day life that, oh, you know what? People might be interested in what I'm doing in the future, right? But because we're like history minded working in the museum, we're always like, oh no, people in the future want to know what's happening right now. And if we don't have information or objects or stories, what are they going to pull from? No, we, we do Let's make their jobs easier. We yeah. do a disservice if we didn't collect anything. Exactly. So that's what's fun about our jobs is we're always thinking about today, but also maybe decades, decades yeah. on. So one of the other huge topics that we've been collecting the last two years unfortunately unfortunately has been covid yeah. covid related things and you know trying to collect stuff in the moment like when it first happened like recognizing you know in march of 2020 we knew that this was a historic event mm -hmm. didn't know quite the impact that it was going to have around the world mm -hmm. and um, you know, just trying to, I, you know, really hone in on like how Ketchikan experienced the pandemic. And yeah, more personalized to us. Trying to get different voices and opinions represented, trying to get different aspects of the community represented. And um, I know that, that I um, went through periods with collecting where it was really... Um, I was more passionate about it, and then I kind of got fatigued because it got to be very, did, yeah. very overwhelming. Mm. And then I'd circle back to it, and so I've kind of gone in, in these cycles, interesting yeah. cycles of, like, collecting stuff. Um, but, yeah, we're still very much collecting things to represent that experience, and it's kind of nice now, um, now that we're two years into it, mm. three years into it. You have it, some perspective. Um, and yeah, people have perspective, and... Um, we were able to capture some stuff that was very ephemeral, which just means that it, it's not meant to stick around. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things that we had gotten kind of early on um, 
is this teddy bear that has a sign supporting the nurses. And so like, uh, I think it was during kind of March and April of 2020, like right when the pandemic started, everybody's at home. And then there was this national campaign about, you know, putting teddy bears in your windows. and people would drive around and play a game for their kids, like spot, you know, find the teddy bears. I so saw a lot throughout Catch a Can. There were a lot of people that were doing it. There was a Facebook group about it, and there was somebody out north who put up like five or six teddy bears all along the road, right? All along North Point Higgins, <laughs> and you know, I had I sent these her, bears have seen a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I sent her a Facebook message, and I was like, "Hey, this is really cool," and you know, when these things come down, you know, think of us and she had contacted and they'd been outside in the rain for at at least two months (laughs) and surprisingly it wasn't totally damaged Um, you know that's something that was not necessarily surprising but really heartwarming is that during the the beginning stages and even most the way through what's been going on Mm -hmm. Ketchikan has had a huge support for their hospital staff their nurses Mm -hmm. their doctors like it's been very frontline workers yeah Yeah. and one of the other cool things we got um was a quarantine flag that a gill netter um had flown on his boat and it was a guy that comes up from washington um every year he's been fishing in our air in our Mm -hmm. um area for about 30 years and had never had to quarantine before (laughs) and he got um he got this flag that was actually made by an alaskan company out of homer and um, he had to have it gold streaked to make it in time. So it made it very expensive for him. And he flew it for the 2020 season. And, you know, I, my, my boyfriend's a gill netter. And I, I was like, you know, I was like, put in the word for me. I was like, when it's time, <laughs> to, I was like, when it's time to get rid of the flag, I want his flag. And um, I'd actually had an opportunity to like go by his boat and get some pictures of the flag that flying so cool. while he was actually really quarantining. Wow. And um, last year, before the fishing season started, I was I was able to pry it out of him. Right. <laughs> so, it's so, funny because when you think of like a quarantine flag, I think of like I don't know, like seventeen, eighteen hundreds, right? Like a flag on a boat. What were the stripes and colors positioned? Like? Yeah, it's like yellow and black, it's right? It's a yellow and black quadrant. Yeah. Huh. yeah, yeah, and yeah, I was I was just reading up about that recently, and it's it's called the Lima flag, and. Um, I think there's, oh, what is it? There's another one. It's a, a solid yellow flag that indicates that um, you are virus-free. So oh, wow. Um, that has another, it's another South American wow. country name. Yeah. I don't remember that. But <laughs> but it's neat to see how, like, the, the pandemic, um, you've got something so global, right? But then this specific response in Southeast Alaska, like a fishing boat um, yeah. having to have a quarantine yeah. flag. Yeah. Um, and we got some cool signage too from businesses um, around town. We got some signs that went up at the um, uh, Buggy Beach and yeah. um, Pit, Grand you know, Street Playground. Yeah, and um, AJ's. Um, Gourmet Burgers, they had put up a really cool sign about, you know, they were closed and why they were closed was to support the community. Um, And uh, we got a lot of pictures of signs because that was one thing where it's like, man, we could get like 100 signs. (laughs) I did uh, did see a picture recently (laughs) of the museum because I'm following your guys' Instagram account. It's very interesting. It is. But I did see a picture recently that, um, if I'm not mistaken, you also had a poster from the... uh, 
Libby campaign. About yeah. Libby. Yeah. So, and that's actually in our, in our new exhibit, Sustaining Community, because, um, and this is what's exciting is that we've got maybe, I think now three, three different yard signs in this exhibit. And a lot of people don't realize, but like, yes, yard signs are are an important part of our story here, whether it's a political messages or it's the vote yes on Proposition 2 or Libby Oaksmith or even the Wellness Coalition's campaign, um, You Matter, right? Those signs that are still everywhere, yeah. just like Libby's signs are still everywhere. I still see them in windows and yards. And that was what we wanted to capture because when people come, they're like, what, what is this? Who is Libby, yeah. right? When, when visitors come to our town, who's Libby or what is You Matter or Don't Give Up, right? To then be able to show that this is actually part of a larger campaign in our in our community of support. Yeah. Right? And and that's why we really wanted to include Libby as well as when our community is in need, people step up. Yeah. Right? Very community minded, heartfelt, like very We're a community that gives. We may not all be friends, but we're all on the same team. It's yeah. a small town. We gotta work together. <laughs> exactly. Right. I think that's well, a good point. Well you never know when you're gonna need your neighbors. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a big driving force for a lot of uh, friendships that might not exist in other <laughs> yeah. places. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of this um dependence that we have on each mm-hmm. other, um, and that makes us stronger, right? It's not we're not weak for having to depend on other people and, and it that I think is really exemplified in the amount that our community shows up for each Definitely. other, whether it's a fundraiser or a um, or a silent auction after a house burns down, right? Our community steps up and is like there for you. And that's the that's the kind of stuff we're trying to figure out how to represent because it sometimes it's an idea like mm-hmm. racism or yeah. the community supporting itself. It's like okay, how do you represent how that? How do you how is there something tangible that represents that? And you know sometimes that's where oral histories can be really mm-hmm. valuable because there might not be like a, a physical object yeah. or photos like we have some photos that we just recently got as a donation from um, the Black Lives Matter protest in 2020 or the um, LGBTQ plus protest in mm-hmm. 2020 um, or even um, missing and murdered indigenous women. Yeah. Um, so trying to represent those both, both visually um, through photos, through some uh, protest signs. Um, and then like Haley said, those oral histories as well, trying to capture those stories. It's fun. We're kind of like attacking things at all angles. Yes, I'm like a magnet. <laughs> it's like doing a little more Indiana Jones than he actually did. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah I, I heard um, it would be awesome to have an Indiana Jones like spin-off where it's his like granddaughter and she's returning all of the objects that he stole from every community. <laughs> she's taking them back out of museums and repatriating them. Yeah, but you know, with COVID, um, actually this... It's been a really interesting time for us collecting things because a lot of people have been at home. They've been surrounded by their stuff. (laughs) And they realize they have too much. They're like, well, yes, I've got a lot of stuff. And maybe the museum would be interested in it. So we've, um, we've been trying to get in touch with people or have them get in touch with us before stuff goes up to the landfill Mm -hmm. because once it's up there it loses all of its story and sometimes like eric and i we're really good at super sleuthing out certain (laughs) things but there's just some stuff can't be everywhere that we just can't figure out and it would be so much more meaningful and cleaner if it hasn't made its way to the landfill. We, we are just joking as we should have little cardboard cutouts at the bottom of the hill being like, have you gone to the museum yet? <laughs> have you thought about your local museum? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. When, when the hard the hard part is, we, you know, we don't always know what's out there in mm-hmm. the community. Um, you know, we we have a lot of connections within our staff, so and we do tend to pay attention to what's going on in the community. But we just we're, we're not everywhere. We don't always know everything that's going on. Yeah. So it's hard to ask for things that you don't know about, and especially um, when. Um, I could see people not understanding the value or the story of the things they have and exactly. not realizing that those could be helpful to the cause you guys are pushing. Exactly. Which is why like when people do come into our exhibits, um, we, we really we don't we have limited space, right? So we can't tell the complete story in the depth that we could really do it justice, right? Mm. But we can tell a snapshot. Right. And we hope that when people come in, they can see themselves represented. But if they don't see themselves represented to reach out to us, because we are our community's museum and we should be reflecting our museum mm-hmm. our, our community. Sorry. Um, so if you don't see yourself represented, let us know and let us know what might be important to you. Right. How can we represent you or your community or the group that you hang out with? Right. How can we do that in our museum? Yeah. But yeah, just trying to let people know that their stories matter. Yeah. Right? Their objects matter. Maybe not all of them. <laughs> well, we always encourage people, you know, to just bring stuff in if they have questions. Or send or, pictures to us. Yeah, send pictures. Um, or, you know, occasionally we'll go out to people who might not be as mobile um, to come in. And, um, we, you know, we've gotten some really neat treasures. Like, um, I always tell this one story about um, a woman a couple of years ago brought a big box of paperwork in. And She's like, I have no idea if any of this is going to be a value. And there were um, there were two really cool things that we had found um, within her paperwork. So she, her mom had been a cannery worker and mm-hmm. had saved all of her um, medical receipts from different injuries she had had over the years related to her job. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, it just gives, like, we don't have a lot of information about cannery workers. They tend to be this faceless, nameless group of people in the community that are doing work. Yeah. and important work, too. Yeah. Very important work. Um, but we don't have anything that really humanizes them. And this gives a story about someone, someone's personal story about mm-hmm. working in that field. Um, and then that uh, there was also um, within the box a few um, just little invoices from... Uh, the trading post that used to be um, a curio shop that was here for a really long time and um, they had actually sold some rabbit fur to a native artist who used it to trim her moccasins and oh, we, wow, that's so cool. we had some of that woman's moccasins in our collection wow. there the receipts are you know a couple decades earlier than the moccasins we have but it's still really cool to know like okay that was a material that was like available at Readily a store available. that they could get and you know how much it was which kind of gives us an idea of how much you know she would have charge for her moccasins um and then we also uh, this this one is really special to me too we we've gotten um quite a few ornaments recently that gene howard had made and gene passed away um earlier this year and um she for many years would do these really charming catch a can themed ornaments. They're really so beautiful. There's different like people figures. There's like a, a fisherman and a, a miner and a logger and Norwegian characters. And um, over in recent years, we've gotten uh, 
um, some donate some ornaments donated from Jean herself before she passed away wow. and um, and some that we've purchased and um, those you know they they didn't have quite as meaningful of a story as somebody who'd used them and mm -hmm. I finally talked to somebody who had a set in their home that they would use for Christmas um, donate a few ornaments that are they're just really just sweet. adds a little story to it instead yeah. of just us purchasing from an artist is yeah. also and, knowing that it was in someone's home and used and uh, one of their longtime friends had visited um, the museum just this week and had shared some pictures with me that you know one picture was like all the different ornaments that Jean had made over the years and then like another picture was her price list of what she had charged for her oh, ornaments. Wow. So it's really, you know, it's really cool and I, I really seek out those stories in the, the stuff that I collect yeah. for the community. I think that uh, having the historical information of cost too is really interesting oh because my gosh, yeah. I've seen, like I've read reports about how in ancient China, the like 1% cost increase of apples caused a micro-inflation that actually harmed several communities in the area. So having the information of the like historical accuracy in the use of money, like its actual cost inflation, is also amazing. Oh, totally. And one of the things that we just got recently is um, uh, it's property paperwork and a loan schedule for a home on Millar Street. And that um it was kind of shocking at in 1950s like no please don't 20, tell me so it was like a twenty thousand dollar <laughs> loan and the, the fee schedule it was so cool because yeah. the fee schedule like it had all the dates listed out when their payments were due and they had obviously used a ruler to like cross out wow each date, which was that which is very incredible great. but thinking about like the cost of housing nowadays <laughs> and that that's an important topic yeah. that's going on in the community mm, right now very it, relevant it was a really neat document to see because we don't generally get you know deeds and um, that yeah. kind of paperwork so it's kind of cool to compare you know that some historical information with what's going on yeah. now. yeah that's very as you can tell we geek out about our jobs so we love what we do yeah. well especially housing costs like learning about the historical oh cost of housing now is just painful it is i'll never own a home Shocking. <laughs> Shocking <at> times, <laughs> yeah so we also have some other things going on this week um so we have an ongoing history of northwest coast art speaker series and uh, our next one is actually today at 6 p.m. And it's with Evel Evelyn Vanderhoop and Carrie Ann Vanderhoop. And that is the, um, uh, they're going to be talking about, um, uh, they're both textile weavers, researchers, oh, and, wow. and teachers. So really talking about those different aspects of their, their lives. Um, and so that's at 6 p.m. today. You can tune in on our Facebook page. It'll be live, live streaming. And then uh, we also have a museum midday. Um, so that's every every Thursday, third Thursday. I think it's the... Sorry. It's the first Thursday. Jeez, <laughs> we're a little rusty because we're not the ones they usually send. We're not the programming. No. So. Um, but no, we have a, a during the non-tourist season, we offer the museum midday programs. And um, we kind of choose topics that are based off of our own interests mm -hmm. um, that we want to explore and learn a little bit more about. So um, this next one is going to talk about um, the deer 
mountain hatchery and um, what the Southern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association does <laughs> for our community and our region. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a, a topic that um, uh, this is going to be my shout out to Erica Jane and her passion for salmon. <laughs> so I think she got a tour of the facility as yeah, well, too. She got so a tour, so. Oh, wow. Sometimes our, our jobs kind of let us do some cool behind the scenes yeah. stuff. Flying in a float plane or going to the fishery. But so um, the Museum Midday is going to be tomorrow, and that's going to air on our Facebook page at noon. And um, for the folks that are unable to watch um, our programs live, we also have a YouTube page um, where you can go and watch past programs. So um, recent museum middays, as well as the whole series of the history of Northwest Coast art. And what's the name of your guys's YouTube channel? I believe it's just Ketchikan Museums. Sweet. Yeah, um, and you could also check out our website KetchikanMuseums.org. Um, we have all of these information events up online, as well as our virtual exhibits, which we're always adding to. Um, wow. Yeah, Erica Brown, our registrar, has done a fantastic job with getting virtual exhibits up. So it's either past exhibits or current exhibits that we have, and you can scroll through them, uh, check them out. The other thing is um, Past Perfect Online, if we have our database of our objects, we don't have them all up, but we're working on getting them digitized. Yeah slowly adding more um, as we go as we get things photographed and get things scanned um, so you can check out objects and photos you can get lost in there it's a, a rabbit hole. archive is a really good idea for it's a lot great of that stuff. right yeah. and and to be able to allow community members to scroll through that and then you can share right to facebook if you yeah. want to yeah that's and one of my favorites comfort of your own home yeah. oh exactly <laughs> from your couch <laughs> um no yeah, that's and, always exciting and it's really cool too we um on the back end you know we check out the analytics and it, it's so fascinating to know that people all over the country and the world some too international people are checking out our our website yeah. so it's it's super fun wow. to be able to connect with people in that way because especially with covid and people not traveling as much or um, wanting to be in a public setting so it's kind yeah. of a nice it, it's a nice way for us to still have some connection interaction with folks. yeah that yeah. was it, the covid was really our catalyst for getting our virtual exhibits up because once we were close to the public we were still working Mm -hmm. um and we wanted to make sure that we were still interacting with our community and and our larger community um i guess statewide globally right and uh so then we started putting up virtual exhibits and they've been a success we've had a lot of feedback really good feedback and i think it's a great idea it's just sad that covid was the catalyst i know right (laughs) but you know what yeah it's it's the silver lining it forced forced us into this world and it's something we'd been talking about for a long time but you know there was a a few weeks where we were closed to the public and it was like well you know maybe this is a good option (laughs) to explore and it's cool now too because we can share past exhibits so they, um, and we're slowly building that infrastructure, too, yeah. um, for being able to share some of the great things that, that we've already created that would be nice to reshare with Definitely. people. Definitely. Yeah. So we're doing a lot. Uh, we have a lot going on. There's always on. tons of stuff <laughs> always. going on. But yes, of course. So again, we have our um, tonight at 6 p.m. We have a History of Northwest Coast, our speaker series with Evelyn Vanderhoop and Carrie Ann Vanderhoop. Uh, and then tomorrow... Uh, Thursday at 12, we have our Museum Midday with the Deer Mountain Hatchery with uh, Sarah. 
Um, so check check those both out. And if you can't make it, you can always find them on our YouTube page, Catch Can Museums. Well, thank you so much, guys. It was so great to hear from you, and it's so great to have you on today. Thanks for having thank us, Thank you, Cole. Ryan. Thank you, Haley. You guys yeah. make sure to go check out the museum and all their beautiful events, their curated shows, their exhibits. It's really exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs>